The scripture reading for our meditation today is taken from the seventh chapter of St. Paul's letter to the Romans, beginning with verse 21. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would now sanctify us through them. Amen. You may be seated. A number of years ago, a man came to talk to me who was a middle-aged man in a congregation I was serving. The church it was a Lutheran church that had a large school. And um, apparently, uh, earlier in the day, he had been down in the hallways of the school and he saw a group of third graders that were going back to their classroom. And two of the little boys started to hassle each other and actually got into a tussle and a little bit of a skirmish broke out and pushing each other into the wall and yelling at each other. And suddenly the teacher came back out of the room and screamed at these boys and said, Hey, Christians don't do that. Well, the man told me that he later decided to go back and talk to the teacher at the end of the school day. And he reminded her of what she said. And he said to her, what do you think those boys thought about themselves after you yelled that to them? And she hadn't thought about it before. That He said, it's one thing to say Christians shouldn't do that. It's another thing to say Christians don't do that. Sometimes we do. <laughs> Sometimes Christians can act as, just as bad as the unbelieving world. I remember hearing in seminary somebody said, don't paint the portrait of a Christian as somebody that is so pure and pious that no one could ever live up to it. The text in front of us shows that there's a great struggle that goes on inside of the heart of the believer. It even shows up in little Christian children. There's on the one hand this love for God, this love for Christ, such a deep appreciation of his grace, cherishing his word and his sacrament and, and looking forward to going to heaven and and appreciating all that our Savior has done for us. And yet at the same time, there's still this love for the world. There's still this, this bent toward disobedience in us, this bent toward self-centeredness and materialism and lust and greed and pride and all of those different things that can still rage inside of us. Paul has very clearly stated to the Romans that we are justified. We've been declared innocent of our sin because of the great sacrifice of our Savior. And we love that about our Lord. We appreciate his grace. And, and yet, contrary to all of that, there's still something that hangs on to us, like mud on a tractor wheel, that just fights against this faith. And sometimes that struggle can get pretty intense. Intense. In fact, the, the interesting word that Paul uses here in this context, it's a Greek word. I'm going to say it for you because you can kind of hear something in it. Antistratuamai. 
Anti-strategy is kind of the word. It's a, it's, it shows that there's another strategy waging war against the faith uh, that we now have. And maybe you've had this happen to you too, but there have been times for me when I've fallen into a sin and just soon after that, sometimes within seconds, my conscience can just grab me by the throat and go, you call yourself a Christian? Do Christians do that? That's not something a Christian would do. There was a, a, a psychologist from Stanford years ago, he's now retired in his mid-80s, named Dr. James Dobson, kind of out of the reform tradition, started what was called the focus on the family. Had a lot of great things to say about uh, how to raise children and things. But he once said in a radio interview that with all the people that he had counseled through the years, that he found that the struggle with lust was probably the thing that drove more men away from Christianity than anything else. They just couldn't deal with the battle anymore. They got so sick and tired of just how awful they felt after they would engage in something so lustful, pornography and things like that. And the realness, the intensity of that of that temptation and that struggle just finally made some of them just, it's just easier to not deal with it. Going through the process of repentance and battling with this over and over again. The struggle with any sin is not unique to our generation. Uh, we maybe sometimes think it's more intense in our day and age. Well, that could be, but I'll give you some examples. Back in the first century, Clement I, who was probably the third pastor in Rome, writes a letter to the Corinthian Christians about troubles going on in their church, and he clearly describes this internal problem that Christians can have and this, this war that takes place. In the 200s AD, a theologian named Cyprian, I'll read something he writes, there is a struggle and a daily contest between the flesh and the spirit so that we do not do the things we want. Since the spirit seeks heavenly and divine things, but the flesh lusts after earthly and worldly things. Martin Luther in his day in the 1500s had a, a very interesting way of describing all of this. He said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. It's a unique way to, to put it. That, that we, we can't stop the fact that we're in a world that just has stuff all around us that is tempting us. Um, but the fight for the Christian is to keep it from really landing on us and taking over in us. So this ongoing battle and struggle that Paul is describing really is the earthly life of the Christian. And the pain that we sometimes feel in our consciences about our guilt Paul is saying that's actually a healthy sign. It's a, it's a good vital sign. Just like, just like when somebody has been very sick and maybe now comes out of surgery and the doctors are wondering if that person is recovering and they start to feel hunger pains. That's a healthy sign. It's a, it's a good sign that something is alive and that there's a desire for, uh, for food in that case. The danger we face, actually, is on the opposite end and that is when there's no longer a battle when there's no longer a struggle, when, there, when your sin doesn't bother you anymore. The Bible describes that as like your conscience is seared like a hot iron. If you've ever touched something super hot and burned your skin so that you can't feel anymore and it takes away the sensitivity, 
That's what God is talking about that can happen to our consciences. When we get so familiar and fall in love with our sin that it doesn't even trouble us anymore. It doesn't even make our consciences like feel any pain about it anymore. That's the dangerous time. That's the time when something's happening inside of us taking over, taking over our spiritual life. Listen to what Dr. Walther writes. If a Christian allows sin to rule him, this is a sure sign that he's not a Christian but a hypocrite, no matter how pious he pretends to be. So when, when we let it dominate us so that we don't even care about sin anymore, that's, that's the dangerous time. But the fight and the struggle with sin, that's the real thing that St. Paul is describing here. It's kind of interesting in this text. It's almost like Paul just opens up his heart to us and explains what's going on and what, what goes on inside of us in this, this great battle. And it's wonderful that God places this in Scripture. God the Holy Spirit made sure that Paul would place this here and, and in other of his epistles in order to remind us that our getting to heaven is purely by grace alone. It's only by what our Savior has done. It'd be easy to look at someone like Paul and all the great things that he did in his life and the missionary journeys and all the stuff he put up with for being a Christian and think, wow, what a tremendous person he must have been. No wonder that guy was in heaven someday. And he opens his heart here and says, no, that's not, that's not the way it works. I am just as wicked and sinful as, as anyone here today. And it could only be by grace alone. He, he gets to the point of almost throwing up his hands. Who will rescue me from this body of death? But then he has the great answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's, that's, what, that's the point God, what God wants you to take away from this today. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer to the battle is what Christ has come into this world to do for you. I remember studying this text very intensely in our Romans class when I was in seminary. And I remember thinking while we were studying it, apparently I really could still be a Christian. It's possible I really am a Christian. We can sometimes really question ourselves when we have to deal with this struggle and this battle. When you look at how God has designed the ministry, the Christian ministry among us, it's very clear that he knows this is an ongoing battle and struggle. Baptism for the forgiveness of our sins that we are to live in all the time through repentance. The Lord's Supper, often we're supposed to take that, receiving God's grace over and over again. The pastor who stands before us to pronounce God's absolution week after week after week. The same sins that we bring in week after week into that house of God to be forgiven over and over and over again. God is very well aware of the struggles that you and I face as his children. One of my SEM profs used to say, in the realm of sanctification, that means how we live our Christian lives, in the realm of sanctification, we are all rookies. But in the realm of justification, we are all veterans. And what he meant by that is that God has secured that status for you because of what your Savior has done. And just live in that righteousness. And God would also have you long for the day when you will no longer have to deal with this struggle. Won't that be nice to finally get to heaven and we don't have this pressure inside of us and this battle constantly to, to know yourself 
and the people you love without absolutely no sin at all. What a glorious place that is going to be. Live for that in Christ. Amen. Please join me then in the singing of the offertory. Uh, and you'll find that if you need the music for it on page 70 in the front part of the hymnary. And let us rise. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Depart now in his peace. Amen.